You're listening to Left of Center with Gary Duff. Today we're zoning in on a race in the 15th Congressional District of the Bronx, a seat that has pretty big shoes to fill ever since Bronx Representative Jose Serrano announced that he'd be retiring in 2020 due to his Parkinson's disease. Since that announcement, a slew of candidates has risen over 12 to try and fill the congressman's seat. Joining me is one of them and one of the biggest names in the race, former New York City Council Speaker, Melissa Mark Vivarito. Melissa, like I'd mentioned, there are a lot of different people in this race. Some of your fellow front runners include Ruben Diaz Sr., whose son was just running for mayor, uh, Councilman Richie Torres. You've got Michael Blake. You have the DSA back, Samuelis Lopez. Tell me what differentiates you and what is your advantage going into this race? I mean, my, my consistency of being a fighter for equity and for justice, my track record of accomplishment, of pushing an agenda of progressive politics in a city, going back to a time where that was not uh, welcomed and not part of the mainstream. Uh, it started with obviously my winning my city council seat back in 2005 mm-hmm. and being a candidate that represented a district that was on the margins, a district that was made up of black and brown folks, of low-income communities, and that these are communities that oftentimes were overlooked in a city that at time at that time was being led by Mayor Bloomberg, who many of us considered his policies were very much more favorable to the wealthy in the city of New York than to the communities that I represented. So the idea of pushing forward uh, a candidacy at the time and my leadership of being a voice for communities that oftentimes were overlooked and then being able to work with colleagues in the council to create the Progressive Caucus in the city council and then pushing for progressive policies within the legislative body of the city of New York. So my track record is long of being a really strong advocate and has a track record of consistent uh, uh, work. And I think that that's what really separates me is that not only that I've been talking about the issues, but that I have the work and the experience to prove that my policies have been, um, that, that I have accomplished. Uh, whether it's criminal justice reform and the closing of Rikers Island, whether it's the decriminalization of low-level offenses, whether it's being an incredibly strong, passionate advocate against the stop-and-frisk policies uh, that were targeting so many uh, of our young people and, and terrorizing a whole generation of black and brown young men in particular. I have that track record of success nobody else can, can, can really share. And so one of the candidates in this race, as you mentioned, Reverend Ruben Diaz, uh, who is a homophobe, who is misogynistic, who does not support a woman's right to choose, uh, definitely is not a progressive. When you first announced your run back in August of last year, you did get a few attacks, some of them coming from Councilman Richie Torres, another coming from Michael Blake. Both of them criticized you for running in a district they said that you did not live in. Is that a valid argument against your candidacy? And do you think it's a deterrent for voters? Not a valid argument at all. First of all, I was born and raised in Puerto Rico. So I am someone that came to this city, as many others do, uh, to create and carve a path 
forward, right, and to look for opportunities. I represented a district in which 50% of my district was in, in this congressional district. I have been on the ballot 12, uh, eight times in this district across the 12 years. I've, um, I've had a citywide platform advocating for um, the constituencies in the Bronx and across the city. I'm fully bilingual. I'm fully bicultural uh, to a constituency that really is predominantly Spanish-speaking. And so I am proud of the track record. People want a fighter in this time of Trump, in this time of an administration that has been so hostile uh, and has communities like the ones in the South Bronx and the 15th Congressional District in the Bullseye, where we have seen children separated from their families, where we have seen Puerto Rico dismissed and um and so many have died at the negligence of this administration so there are those in this district uh, that have seen me as a fighter for criminal justice reform for immigration reform uh, the strong advocacy that i provided speaking and supporting our immigrant communities and making our city a more welcoming place uh, so i have that track record of fight and people when i've been knocking on doors and i've been aggressively on the ground knocking on doors and talking to constituents in this district uh, when they see me they're like oh yes Either A, they know me personally because they've interacted with me as their representative, or two, they've seen me in the news on Spanish language TV and at press conferences advocating for issues that deeply impact them. And that's, I see you as a fighter. You fight for us. That is what people's experience has been with me. And I think that that um, speaks for itself and will prove highly beneficial in this race. So in this time of Trump, who we need is a fighter that is not afraid, who is unapologetic, who has that track record of accomplishment, who does not just talk the talk, uh, that this is really a grassroots campaign. It's about letting people know that they're going to have someone who is accessible to them, who will provide strong constituent services, who will be making sure that the fighting inequality at a national level is going to have a direct impact on their lives. Because uh, the 15th Congressional District being uh, one of the, the lower uh, income districts in this city and in this country has been on the receiving end of these unequal policies at a national level that have proven to be disastrous to communities of color. That is what we have to change. That systemic change that Elizabeth Warren talked about, that even Bernie Sanders talks about, the only two candidates that really do talk about that aggressively, that systemic change, if we enact it at a national level, is going to directly positively impact districts like the 15th Congressional District. So that is why I'm in this race. That is why I'm so passionate about it. And that my life's work as an activist, as an elected official, has always been about talking about the injustice that exists and creating more equality. So it really is in line with the change that we need to see at this moment. And so I'm excited about this race. I'm excited about the response that I'm getting from constituents as I talk to them and the case that I'm making and believe that that will um, be productive and will lead me to win this this uh, race. You mentioned Elizabeth Warren. You had been tweeting about her candidacy throughout the campaign. You had supported her here in New York. You were one of her big backers. Tell me what her campaign and candidacy meant to you. You know, I, I I'm... Being raised in Puerto Rico, my mother was a young mother. By the age of 24, she had had her three kids. Uh, she was going to school. She was uh, an activist in the feminist movement in Puerto Rico. I was raised in that feminist movement. I was raised as an activist. I was raised uh, uh, being taught that we as women have no bounds, that we should not allow anyone to impose any barriers, that we sky is the limit, and that we must demand that, um, that respect be granted to us, right? The laws must change, policies must change, 
We must be represented at all levels of government. So I was raised in that environment, right, along lesbian women, alongside cisgender women, alongside Afro-Boricuas, right, women who uh, were, were clear in their identity. And that, all of that experience has helped really shape um, my perspective on life. And so being around strong women has been so central to what I strive for and what my work is about. And so I, I have been very vocal. I've stood up against patriarchy many times, and, and my, my candidacies have never been easy as a woman, as particularly a Latina, Puerto Rican woman. And so for me, seeing finally a candidate that met everything, right? She was accomplished. She's smart. She had a, a policy for everything. Like we clearly could see what her path was going to be once she got elected to office. And the fact that she was a woman um, with those qualifications was very motivating and very inspiring. And, you know, I, I care deeply about her and what she represents. And so it was very painful to see that still sexism and misogyny does um, impact, right, the ability for women to succeed. And that is a factor in Hillary's campaign, too. But more, right more immediately here now with, with Elizabeth and everything she represented, she was a white woman who really was able to process visually and very um, openly her evolution, right? When she was challenged about certain issues, uh, marginalized communities and hearing firsthand from their experiences, being able to incorporate that, adjust and make sure policies made uh, us seen and heard. I mean, it's just, that's not something you see every day in any leader. And it was very, very much for those of us representing communities of color and marginalized communities, it was refreshing to see how much um, her campaign embraced us. And so it was, it just means a lot. You know, she's been very good uh, on, on the issues of, of economic injustice. She's talked consistently about Puerto Rico. She's presented legislation in the Senate to support. So she's just been incredible. And so it was very Hurt, it hurt a lot, and, and I did get very emotional yesterday when I heard her, saw her, um, when I processed it in the middle of a campaign. So uh, I'm hoping that in my lifetime, now at the age of 50, that in my lifetime I will get to see the first woman president. Um, uh, but this was a real blow, and it was very sad to see. The Latino Victory Fund, which was an organization you were part of, you served as its interim president, um, recently endorsed Joe Biden for president. Is that who you will be supporting moving forward? Um, I, I, I do not, I can't see myself going in that direction, to be honest. I haven't really given thought to what I'm going to do next in that world. Like We're in the middle of petitioning right now. Mm-hmm. So we are in an important phase of this campaign of um, getting out there, talking to voters and making sure that we have the enough signatures to get on the ballot. Um, my policies have always been very clear. Uh, I've been deeply aligned more with the systemic change that I saw uh, Warren talking about and I see Bernie Sanders talking about, and that's what I believe is where we need to be in this in, in this point of, in in our country. We need that systemic change. We have seen uh, the billionaire class through the DeVoses and the Koch brothers, et cetera, um, being organized across decades. This is not something that has just happened overnight. They have been putting their money 
into taking over state legislatures, into the redistricting, into changing the state houses um, and state governorships, and also now Congress. And they have been doing that as a way of ensuring that the policies and the legislation that is put forward is one that benefits their interests. They've been working at this for decades, and we have fallen behind. So we don't have time to tinker around the edges. You know, the systemic inequality that exists in this country is unsustainable, and it is um, inhumane, to be honest, that we have so much wealth and yet so few um, are getting a decent housing, uh, access to, to um, quality health care and, and, and better educational opportunities. Those are all things that, are, are, that, we, that, that we need, right, that should be a right in this country and that we shouldn't be having any conversation about. So we don't have time to be kind of just tinkering around the edges or just like being safe. We have to talk about uh, the, 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 the change that is needed and making the case to the people we want to represent as to why. And when I talk to people at the doors, they understand it and they are in agreement with it, you know, um, and, and the agreement with, with the fact that the quality of the housing is, is just inhumane and that more housing opportunities need to be provided. We have a homelessness crisis that is being fed by the housing crisis. When we talk about access to quality health care, um, not, not making decisions based on how much money you have uh, to take care of your health is ridiculous. That's not the world that we should be living in. So those are things that's why, you know, one of the reasons I was compelled to jump in this race is because these are uh, issues that are a priority, that need to be prioritized, and that need the leadership of people who have been unapologetic consistently in the way that they've led, like myself, as, as a candidate, as an elected official and a speaker, and that I will bring that same level of commitment and unwavering commitment to these issues um, as Congresswoman. So uh, I, I don't, I just, my politics do not align uh, with, with other, the other candidates. My politics were very deeply aligned with what is being espoused by Warren and what is being talked about by, by um, Bernie Sanders. So I don't, again, but I haven't made any decision, but uh, you know, I will be thinking about it more. I've always wanted to ask you about the leadership in our community. I mean, we've had a lot of success up in the Bronx. We've had many Latinx leaders who've been able to claim the, the Bronx Borough president's seat. But we haven't been able to produce a candidate that has successfully run for mayor. We had Ruben Diaz Jr., who, who all he wanted to do was become mayor, had recently pulled out. Prior to him, Ermin Badillo who ran unsuccessfully against Michael Bloomberg back in 2001. So tell me what you think the problem is. Are there structural issues? Have we just not galvanized around somebody in a way that we should? Well, I think this is the, this is the challenge, you know, overall. I, I don't think, you know, obviously, clearly, we're not a monolithic community, the Latino community. Yeah. But there has really, and I say this, it, it pains me to say this. I don't see our community and the leadership in our community as trying in any way to be organized um, and assure, you know, I, I have always been an ad. I'm a coalition builder, first and foremost. I've worked across communities, um, and my success has always been because of the coalitions I've built. I'm not a silo candidate. Um, I believe in uplifting everyone and that everyone deserves uh, um, a fair chance and opportunities and that the systems we have should not work against them because of discrimination, prejudice, racism. So I've been a coalition builder across communities and advocated strongly for issues um, that impact the LGBTQ community, the Muslim community, the African-American community, um, the immigrant community. So I, I believe in that. 
But at the same time, representation does matter, right? That's why I believe in gender equity and representation in Congress or in any level of government. That's why I do believe uh, that we need uh, Muslim leadership in elected office, that we need African-American leadership in elected office, and that we need Latino leadership in elected office. And so the Latino community in the city of New York is growing. It's large, you know, and yet we don't have citywide representation and we don't have statewide representation. And that, to me, is something that I challenge the leadership of the Latino community. Why can't we have a genuine conversation about why is that the case? Because it is, to me, impactful that two years out of office, when I walk the streets in the community, people stop me because they have seen themselves reflected in me and the level of leadership that I brought as speaker, that they saw someone of stat in, a, in a position of influence and power in this city that was speaking to them, was looking, looked like them, that understood their experience, that was trying to make a change, and they saw a fighter in me. That imprint is clear because people still reach out to me two years later to say, oh, you've always been a fighter for us. Thank you for what you've done. So that is why representation matters. So we do need to... Um, ensure that we are demanding that we be, right, um, represented in government as well. And so I think that that's the challenge. So now in the Bronx, we do have an interesting, so this is not just an issue for the Bronx, this is an issue across the city with Latino leadership, right? But in the Bronx in particular, we're seeing an incredible shift that is creating an incredible opportunity, right? Now we've seen the Bronx County Democratic Party chair uh, saying that he's stepping down, not only from the chairmanship of the Democratic Party, but also from elected office. He's an assemblyman as well, Marcos mm -hmm. Crespo. We've seen Ruben Diaz Jr., who is the Bronx Borough president, who was a candidate for mayor, also saying he's withdrawing from politics and is not going to be running for mayor. And once his term finishes, is not going back into government. Um, so we are seeing an opportunity of really, if we can galvanize and organize, of creating genuine progressive change in the Bronx, which I think is overdue. Uh, and so I want to be a part of that. I want to definitely challenge uh, us in that conversation and, and ensure that the level of representation that we demand is one who's going to be true, right, to the needs of the community. Uh, and so we have a real window of opportunity here that I don't think we should be missing. Melissa Mark Vivarita, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me. I appreciate you. Thank you very much for the invitation, for the opportunity, um, and hope to speak again soon.